0: All right, so for various reasons that will remain unsaid, we are recording, I believe this is our 17th episode of Trek About in one week?
1: Yeah, last week we were actually in season four of Next Generation, and now we've caught up, so... Um... We're, we're doing a lot. We actually haven't slept in about, I uh, think, a month. We would like to give a shout out to Folger's Coffee for making this possible. So I wanted to get
0: to this week in particular, because of course, I wanted to talk about His Way.
1: Yes. I loved that episode.
0: Uh, no, the episode that I wanted to get to, of course, was In the Pale Moonlight. Uh, this is, again, we've had another of these episodes because we had Far Beyond the Stars mm-hmm. from just a few weeks ago. That was another one of these giant, big, outsized episodes in the franchise. This is another one of them. We also had Inquisition from last week, which is not one of those episodes, but it's more one of those episodes for what it introduces to the mm-hmm. franchise. This is definitely... I. I'm not saying that the rest of the show is is not good, it is, but in the same way that I think the last quote-unquote classic episode of TNG was probably in TNG mm. Season 6, I would say that this is probably the last classic episode of DS9.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I've talked a few times, and even last week about Section 31, that someone had told me things about DS9. Well... I didn't know anything about the plot of this episode, but I knew that there was an episode where one of the characters recorded a log and then at the end erased it. Now, originally, I... Th- That's
0: had- very vague.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, um, now, actually, the episode where O'Brien, it turns out he's the duplicate, that one, because that was in the form of a log, actually, when we saw that episode, I thought that, oh, I must have misremembered and that was the one that they, was ta- they were talking about. So when this episode started with Cisco doing his log i knew at the end okay this is that episode
0: let's not say cisco
1: doing his log i would like to see that movie (laughs) um (laughs) that would be a much happier episode than this one but um frankly and frankly knowing the number one you know that this episode is going to end in disaster from the beginning when he's talking you know well well, because he you know because he's saying I needed to know what happened, I'm trying to figure out what right. It's obvious something has gone very badly and you know, he's trying to just put the pieces together. And during the fr- frankly knowing that this ends with him deciding to arra- and particularly at the end gave a very car crash tragedy feel to it to me.
0: Well, I think you're right, but I think that what is so striking about in the pale moonlight is that the bad thing that happens yeah. is intentional
1: yeah and frankly that in terms of you know a war victor loser kind of a situation cisco and the federation end of the victors they get what they want at the end of this episode the the element of tragedy comes with the moral corruption and the you know, the fall from grace that the Federation has to take in this episode.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, we have to grapple with the fact that, and it's a little difficult, of course, because again, last week was Inquisition and that yeah. was very much about an entire secret branch of the Federation that was not accountable to anyone and that was not operating in good yeah. faith. And what we have here is the the hero of our show, not operating in good faith. Well, and this is a direct challenge, I think, to pretty much the entirety of star trek up to this point well
1: i would say inquisition and in the pale moonlight are kind of a one-two punch frankly this you know what where we came from at the end of inquisition was that you know whatever section 31 is doing what's worse is the fact that it's not accountable so in in a way we've come with that and then in the pale moonlight says okay we're going to have a character doing something very bad, and he's going to get approval for it. Is that okay? Right. And frankly, this episode makes situ- makes Section 31 the more moral choice because, frankly, things like this are happening every day, and they're taking away the guilt and the agonizing and – You know, the moral corruption from the majority of Starfleet, in a way, Section 31 is sinning outside of the Federation, so that way the Federation officers don't have to. Just because, I mean, just because you know, Cisco gets Cisco does a very a series of very Section Thirty One moves in this episode. Frankly, everything he does is worse than everything we've seen Section Thirty One. All Section Thirty One was was grill and you know kidnapping, grill someone in 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 order to give him a job offer. We haven't we know that Section Thirty One probably does assassinations and forges documents, but we haven't seen that. We've seen the heroes of our show do that. Yeah, and. Again, in a way which is a lot more open eyed. You know, we don't know what kind of behind the scenes things happened in, you know, with the Borg war, but all Picard had to do was, you know, deal with his PTSD. He didn't have to deal with his PTSD and all of the evil backdoor deals that happened. Section 31 was able to do that and keep that from him. You know yeah. in a way this this episode kind of justifies section 31's existence because it says the price of peace is con- you know committing acts that are morally wrong but section 30 you know section 31 is an acknowledgement of that and also an acknowledgement that we don't want the majority of our people to have to deal with this so yeah. you're going to deal with this for for us they become kind of the scapegoats or the 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 focus of the Federation's sins are incarnated in S- section 31 and so frankly section 31 comes up more moral than Cisco does in this episode
0: okay I mean that's a challenging statement and I don't necessarily disagree with you and I think that that um, one of the one of the things especially about this episode is you know as I talked a little bit about when we talked about Inquisition last week was you know this was of a series of episodes that uh, were challenging mm-hmm. you know, some of the uh, ideas or ideals that Star Trek was based on. Not necessarily proving them wrong or discounting no. them, but just saying, how far can we take this? Where would this really land in the real world? You know, And so you get things like the Maquis, for instance. Then you get things like Homefront and Paradise Lost with a, a kind of a Starfleet military coup a little bit, eternal military coup, essentially. And, and, but those were all, you even see this and think, you know, let's go back to the original series, you know, Commodore Decker from the Doomsday Machine, hmm. a crazy guy who was off doing his own shit. Um, you see this in something like Conspiracy from the first season of TNG. So I think this idea of...
1: Or what what's his name? Sorry, the, the one with the... Uh O'Brien's old captain.
0: The wounded, right. I think that this is something that... I mean, this is what always gets me about criticism of this episode is that this idea is baked into the DNA of the franchise. Mm-hmm. That there, the the fact of the matter is even though the Federation is designed to be a, let's say, self-correcting or self-healing entity that is based on high principles and they do live up to them. And that one of the things that you see throughout the franchise is that... The way in which individual Starfleet officers and individual Federation governmental officials have to watch each other in in kind of a it sounds like a sinister thing, but it's not. It's more like everybody's in internal affairs, well, right? It checks and, and
1: balances, rather than I- in a way,
0: right? And I think that what what you're seeing here is really that. In the pale moonlight, takes it. I mean, you know, certainly Inquisition takes it one step by having this, you know, shadowy quasi governmental organization, Section mm-hmm. Thirty One, that is not accountable to anybody. Now you have Cisco, and you intimated that he went and got approval for what he did, which he I think says well, he sa- yeah, he says he went to he has to go to Starfleet Starfleet Command to get approval for this, and I think that that's a very important line in the episode because it shows not only is Cisco. You know, it's two things. Number one, Cisco is the rogue agent that we have seen so often in in the franchise, only as a villain. Mm -hmm. And also that now Starfleet Command is sanctioning that rogue agent. And I don't know what that means necessarily. And I think that obviously we'll have a conversation about it. But it, it makes the show and it makes Cisco and it makes Starfleet Command out to be... I think A really fucking terrified of the Dominion yeah. for them to do something like this. I I you know, you intimated that did they do stuff like this when the Borg were attacking? I don't think so. Right? Like the Borg were a threat. They were an existential threat to the Federation, yeah. but I don't think that they were doing this kind of stuff.
1: Well, let, let me put it this way. The Borg weren't doing espionage and really the Borg war went down to firepower in some ways, firepower and cleverness. They didn't need, you know, the you talk about acting in good faith. The Borg make it very clear exactly what their the means, Borg are, what their motive and means are from their opening statement.
0: The Borg are acting in good faith. Yeah, they tell you what they're going to do when they do it. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're they're not you know sneak, they're not saying the opposite. They're not lying. You you don't th- even think that the Borg have a conception of lying at this point because why would we? Were the Borg were that powerful? But well, this
0: is I mean this is another one of those ironies of in the pale moonlight is that you know. We we talk a lot about competent Romulans and the whole yeah. thing about Romulans being very very secretive, not acting in good faith, lying to you all the time, being really interested in espionage, They have cloaking devices for Christ's sake. I mean that is a very yeah. literal, it's yeah, a very literal <laughs> example of their sort of mindset. And the Federation has been dealing with that for two hundred years, right? And then we talk about the Cardassians as competent Romulans. We talk about you know the Dominion are really sort of like the the the. Uh, are actors in bad faith, right? I mean, they are essentially creating slave races in the guise of this is a good thing for you. They are lying to them, coding it into their DNA that you need to worship the founders as gods. The founders don't even care what you think. It's It's like even beyond acting in bad faith, right? And the Federation has had to deal with these threats before, and now they have the Dominion, which is this mass- you know phenomenon that just has so much firepower and 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 resources that they can yeah. throw at this war and what do they do with that they turn to the other actors in bad faith that the federation has been dealing with for 200 years the romulans to get mm-hmm. them involved in the war now you could make i mean it's certainly possible to to make an argument and i don't this is might be devil's advocate on my part but I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing that the Federation decided to act in bad faith with the Romulans. Well, because that's kind of, I mean, you know, I think it is, but well, let me, let me, it's a little more justifiable than if it was the Bajorans.
1: Yeah. I mean, and also let's, 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 I think it's not incidental that out of all the planets, it's beta Z that's been taken over. I mean, of all the nice, happy planets that could be taken over by the dominion, it's fucking beta Z. Right. Like Ryza's the only thing that's, you know, and we, we don't really have any people that we love from beta Z from Riza, we have two from beta Z we already care about. So, um, I, 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 and, and what a shame that there are no more, uh, uh, the wax on a troy episodes but uh um, well if you're
0: really interested in finding out about what happened on beta z during the occupation I you am. can read the series of novels where counselor troy becomes a resistance fighter really? and i am not making this up are they good i don't know i haven't read them oh because they, they I'm, I'm actually a little scared to read I them don't, because it's such an awesome idea <laughs> because if
1: it's like the face of the enemy troy then holy shit yes i want that you know she was, was born to do that but if it's minaja troy troy but anyway um See, see, where the—I mean, I, I will admit—during the end of this episode, I actually started crying. Be, not because of anything that was done in the episode. I think this series has made it again. Kira's line: "It's war. We all have to get a little dirty." Yeah. Um, it's one thing if Cisco gets dirty, but I mean the ending of the ship in which Dax and Cisco are talking and they're saying, you know. I feel really bad about this. People died under me. And Dax basically says, like, look, you know, I, I, I you know, and we have demonstrable evidence that the ship was used in a way which did save lives and was a successful mission. Yeah, those the people who died in the ship did not die in vain, but they're left with Dax saying, you know, we need to remember what the cost was. This episode ends with Cisco saying, but I'm OK with it. And Erasing the log, he is not remembering the cost at this point. I mean that if there is any you know this is a moral a moral tragedy, and it's a moral tragedy because the price is okay. He's okay with doing something that a Romulan or Dora Dominion would do i think- maybe not happy with it. maybe he'd think twice before doing it again, but in this time the sin was worth it. Again, I'm talking in almost religious terms because it's easier to. Well, and
0: also Cisco is a religious figure. I I, I think that, I mean, you know, the line that the episode ends on specifically is I think I can live with it. Yeah. And that to me is not, I'm okay with it. That is enough, Right. And I think that Cisco is not okay with it. And maybe partly this is just because Cisco is the hero of our show and I want to still like him, even though he's done this horrible Mm -hmm. thing. But the other part of that, of course, is that Cisco doesn't do the most horrible stuff. He comes up with the idea, and but it's sanctioned by Starfleet, right? And I I, and also I think that one of the things that's always missed about this episode in particular, because we haven't even talked about Garrick in this episode, is that Garrick is hiding the real "quote unquote" plan from Cisco. And while Cisco certainly is. Does. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I think it's a I think it's a valid yeah. criticism of the of of that argument to say that Cisco would not have sanctioned the outright murder of someone in in pursuit of this. You know, it's almost like you know if you if, 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 if there's been a strain of Garrick all throughout this show, and there actually I think has been a strain all throughout this show of characters patting the Federation on the head. And saying, yeah, you know what's up. You guys Mm. are doing it. Yeah. Oh, you can be bad like the rest of us. I know. Mm. But in this episode particularly, I think that comes to a head where Cisco's coming to Garrick, who, as we know, Mm. has this very shadowy past, has murdered a lot of people. We don't know what the fuck is going on with Garrick, right? We still don't know to this day. We we, We have intimations of what Garrick is doing and what his backstory is, but we still don't really know what the full truth is. And... Sisko is coming to him with this elaborate plan to bring the Romulans into the war on the basis of, of a well, he doesn't actually, right? It was Garrick's idea initially to create the evidence. So it's almost like the the, the I mean, if you want to get religious, Garrick is the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. And then Cisco is going along with this. Cisco is going along with this. And that's even what they say in the episode, right? Where Cisco keeps saying, Oh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it, it keeps going further and further down the line. When it finally gets to it, of course, and Cisco is in that, you know, pivotal pivotable in that pivotal scene where varenak you know, it's a fake. Oh and my Cisco God! Is, and that hiss of that? Line, yeah. Oh my
1: God! That was terrifying. But
0: but that was the plan all along. Yeah. Cisco didn't know that, and so
1: well, I would say it's not so much the plan, but a failsafe. Garrick has about six fail-safes built into this plan. So you right. know the you know the the sabotage. You know, let's put it this way: so he discovers it's fake. He gets he he immediately goes on a ship, goes to the Dominion, comes back, and his ship is destroyed in transit. If the Romulan, if the Rom- if he believed that it were genuine, he would be staying on the sit- station for a little bit longer, and so Garrick, you know, may remove. Right, would, you right. You know, the senator suddenly being an actual ally, Garrick would remove the the bomb. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there. You know, one of Garrick's point is that you know you hired me to do this. You know, you can't. You know, be, you you can't be surprised that Garrick is going to be Garrick. You know, when you hire him to do a covert mission, he's going to. Do it to the best of his I mean, we have in general underestimated Garrick a lot, you know. He, the Quark has come around to loving the Federation or at least, you know, liking many of its members. He's come to the point of missing the Federation. Yeah, but yeah. Garrick, while he allies with the Federation a lot. I mean, at the end, when DS9 is taken over, he goes with the Federation as he says he has nowhere to go. And I mean, that's true. You know, the Federation is going to be a place where even Garrick can find his little niche, but he's never going to love the Federation and they're only allies of convenience. He is a Cardassian no matter what. And And he's, you know, Cisco can't be surprised that a Cardassian is going to act like a Cardassian. And frankly... Out of all the context, he goes. He goes to Garrick. If he's going, you know, he could have gone to a safer one. I think one of Garrick's points is that you went to me because you knew, by any means necessary, I would get the Romulans into the into the Federation. Oh, that I mean, that's what I was going to yeah. say. I
0: mean, there is a there is a gleefulness to Garrick's reaction to to Cisco in the last, you know, in in the entire episode, frankly, but also in that last scene with with Cisco yeah. confronting him in his shop. That I think Garrick is is. Garrick thinks he's being proven right about the naivete of the Federation, mm. and he is being proven right about the failure of you know, diplomacy and acting in good faith among people to find and, and confront their differences and come to an amicable conclusion or, or, yeah. or resolution that is not violent. And I don't know that he's wrong, mm. and that's the hell of it.
1: Well, that's it. We are, you know, this series because is asking, how dirty do you need to be with people who will always be dirty?
0: I think so. And I also think it's saying, what are the limits of, because everything has a limit, yeah. right? And I think that that's what this episode is really saying is paradise is not possible. Utopia is not possible. We can get there, like 99.9%, we can get there. But there's always going to be the edge cases well, that and- are not going to respond to that. And what do we do in those cases? If we have to subvert our principles and if we have to subvert our belief system and if we have to do things that we find morally reprehensible and i think cisco does find this morally reprehensible Mm -hmm. even if he's quote-unquote he can live with it yeah is that a failure of the 99.9 percent of the time that your belief system and your values worked or is that the exception that proves the rule? And I think that's the hard question at the core of this episode.
1: I mean, that's why you know, in a way, that's why Section Thirty One exists to be a permanent addressing that point oh one case, right? Right. So that way, the Federation only sees the ninety nine point nine percent and feels okay with itself all the time. Again, I think you know, Section Thirty One is the way that you know you don't have you know if if Section Thirty One had got if. Cisco had somehow told Section Thirty-One and said, "All right, we're going to take care of this." And you know, was not the wiser. It would have been a very different story if, if his superiors, when he gave them the plan, said, "No, we don't take this. We're not going to take this plan," but then called Section Thirty-One up. That would be a different story. Um, And I mean, you know, you say that he does give some of the dirty work to other people, but the scene with the whole this little sequence with with this med gel bio whatever thing. That, oh yeah. Yeah. So number one, he so this is going to, as Bashir says, it can be used to be it's it's essentially super plutonium, basically. Right. It can use for genetic alterations or uh bioweapons or basically what you know, a ima- the most evil thing you can imagine, it can be done for even more evil.
0: Yeah, what I always imagined it is because its actual name is biomimetic gel. Yeah, and I always imagine it as some sort of you know uh, you know prototypical state of matter yes. that can sort of like mimic any other state of matter. Yeah, biologically speaking, and so yeah, poke
1: it a couple times, it turns into a super virus or it right. turns into another limb or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, that would be that would be bad to have.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so number one, he you know Garrick says. You know so and so wants it, and frankly, I do believe that you know this is this is the only way that this rod can be gotten you know the the episode does set itself up so that way, yes, it might be this rare, and someone this bad might want it and you know first, Cisco says, you know, full stop, no, right. Five minutes later, he says, "Well, I that's a lot." And you know, <laughs> Garrick's like, "Well, that can be negotiated." He negotiates it to eighty five instead of two hundred, which is a little less than half. But given how dangerous this apparently is, so okay, so we can make a bomb that only destroy half the galaxy this time, right? Um, and I mean, Bash- Bashir is saying, you know, Full Out says he does not approve it, and he even says like. You're you're getting it, and I am filing a complaint that's going into my report. Like I'm 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 telling your superiors who number one already know already and sanction anything. This is happening. Yeah. Like so in and that I think I in think, that case, Bashir isn't the one who's taking this, you know, the the culpability of this biomimetic gel getting out of there. It is Cisco. Cisco is even though Cisco doesn't get his personal hands dirty he is still the one who yeah. is executing this plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think that that, you know, the thing about Bashir is is so fascinating to me and it really speaks to to what the episode is doing in terms of um, you know, even sort of the metaphor of it because what Bashir says is I would like this I would like this order in writing, uh-huh. please, sir. And what Cisco is doing throughout this episode is is machination is is coming up with elaborate schemes is working with Garrick to do illegal, frankly, they're illegal things, right? Illegal, immoral, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're all those things. They're all those things, but leaving no record, leaving no trace. This is what happens when you go down this road and Bashir is still operating in the mindset of a good, loyal Starfleet, you know, Starfleet officer, Federation citizen who, Believes that people are acting in good faith and when they tell him something that goes against his beliefs, he believes that putting it in writing is going to make everything okay.
1: Or at least that they're – yeah, y- you get the sense that he expects, oh, in writing, well, no, I can't do that. It's a, like, for,
0: it's a form of magical thinking.
1: Yeah, the fact that – and Cisco reacts to it as you know bureaucratic formality at that point. Like he's annoyed that he has to write this down.
0: Right, and I think that's, again, it, it also syncs mm-hmm. up very nicely with, with the whole conceit and structure of the episode, which is Cisco dictating this personal log. Because, you know, that yeah. is a form of writing, that's a form of recording, and he deletes it at the end, right? He doesn't want this out there, even though this entire thing was sanctioned by Starfleet yeah. Command. Now, of course, we do have to follow that up with, did Starfleet Command know that Garrick's backup plan was to destroy Vreenak's shuttle and murder him. I don't think so, because Cisco didn't know.
1: I don't think any of his superiors are quite questioning it. I think they just... They're not stupid. They, yeah, they're not stupid, but they they have the plausibility, plausible deniability to believe the cover story, and frankly, the reason to believe the cover story. Even if every... You know, obviously... A group of people met from the Federation to say, "Oh my God, this is well. Obviously, the Dominion didn't yeah. do it, but you know something: things are in our favor now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: which is frankly how everybody is going to react to Section Thirty-One doing a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think
0: that I mean the the you know the other thing to talk about too with this episode, of course, is that you know going back to the idea of of you know Cisco operating in bad faith Cisco you know do these edge cases invalidate the the 99.9% of the times that your value mm. system works for you or not even that your value system works for you because i think there are a lot of episodes of TNG and DS9 where their value systems don't provide a good outcome but they're the the only outcome that could really be morally justified and in this episode i think what we're getting is a, another example of This idea of the edge case really coming into play and saying it, you know, Cisco asking these questions of himself and Cisco having this moral conundrum about what he's doing and what he's done is more than Garrick certainly has ever done, more than any of the Romulans have ever done, any Cardassian, right? The Klingons, even, right? And so. The Federation, even when it is acting on this 0.1% of the time where it has to do these ba- these terrible things to protect the Federation, it's still beating itself up about these decisions. And I think that that is also the other half of this episode, which mm. which I don't think it makes it okay, but I think it indicates that the Federation is still going to be fundamentally okay.
1: Oh, yes. I, I mean, I... I... And as he says, you know, the, a guilty conscience is a small price to pay. Like, he makes, in the grand scheme of things, who is affected by it? Cisco, Garrick, Bashir, the senator, the guards. Like, there's, you know, maybe a dozen to 20 people who are affected by this thing. How many people are in the Alpha Quadrant? I mean, if you, again, start Thirty quadrillion. This is, you know, Star Trek is taking some very dark— uh, nuances to the greatest good you know the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few that's very you know it's getting
0: into the realm of you know 500 billion romulans versus 17 trillion alpha quadrant citizens exactly right i mean yeah 500 billion is less than 17 trillion but it's still a fuck lot Mm -hmm.
1: you know yeah it's not like you know, we don't know what the biomimetic whatever is going to be used for, but you know, the senator—he is a major political figure in a time of war, and you know, he's he's military. So there is, you know, he's he's in a way an acceptable target because he is choo- he has chosen a career which is dangerous. You yeah, know? yeah, Cisco gets into a life or death situation. That's part of the job. Yeah, you know, to a degree. So. You know, there is—and I, I guess this is a seductive road, too, though, because we're justifying a murder, you know, by saying—by essentially saying, well, he asked for it the second he, you know, ran for senator, or however the Romulans do it.
0: I think they fight to the death.
1: Okay. That whoever sounds. whoever like, wins is a senator. That sounds more click on that Romulan, but— um, Well, I— and I guess what's very interesting about this episode is because you say you know Garrick knows that you know you know you can do this too you know uh, you know the Romulans know you know or at least the senator knows that a Federation, the Dominion knows the degree to which the Federation has sullied itself now too because obviously the senator went to Dominion Place said here's you know the most fucked up thing happened you know I have this fake data crystal like. They forged this in order to, you know, cause us to weigh in and all of them say, all right, go back to Romulus, you know, start telling your people, you know, they, the, you know, the Federation is horrible. You know, we're going to protect, you know, he gets to, you know, even though Romulus has gone into the arms of the Federation, even though the Dominion know they've lost Romulus, you know, fine. They know that the Federation is dirty now. And I think that's just, well, I don't know. I I, I can picture I, I, I mean, I don't think this is going to the next episode, where Yoon is going to say to Cisco anything about this. It's not like that's going to be, but I, I mean, am going to read that as the subtext. I,
0: I certainly think that that's a, a, a valid interpretation of that, but I don't know that there's any evidence that Vreenak told the Dominion what happened, and I don't know why he would.
1: Why wouldn't he? Because he's... he's a
0: Romulan. He wants to keep it close to the vest until he can use it against the Federation.
1: That's fair. Uh, you know, I yeah, mean, that's fair. But, um, yeah, I, I guess it would be in the a... the,
0: the, the, the Romulans don't trust anybody almost no. by nature, and so it would seem odd to me that Freenak would trust the Dominion with this information.
1: Hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying that yeah. I'm right
0: and you're wrong or vice versa, but it's just you know. No,
1: I. But I guess where the um. This, what the stakes of the episode set up for me, at least, is that Romulus is kind of—it's neutral. This guy would love for Romulus to totally be within the Dominion, you know, to be a subsidiary of it, and he's—you know—pushing for that. It's a very Ferengi word. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um I I can't think of another you know a sub dominion or whatever you know they they want to be dominion citizens they you know he wants the, them to join the dominion because he feels that's the best way you know? and
0: and that's I mean that's
1: the other thing about the episode at the end of
0: the day too is that you know all of this talk about getting evidence to bring the the romulans into the yeah. war there are so many federation citizens on these casualty lists every week et cetera et cetera. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that, that the Dominion does have a secret attack plan against the Romulans. Yeah. I mean... Oh, yeah, that's the... But that doesn't make it right, but, you no. know, I mean, that's the other part of it, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You They're getting to maybe the right... And, and frankly, as far as, you know, you ask Cisco and everybody, everybody feels that the Dominion is just biding its time. It's dealing with the act of war, and then it's just going to scoop up these other little territories right now. If they weren't in open warfare with the federation maybe they would have attacked romulus already to right. you know get it but their resources aren't needed for you know the way we've seen non aggression treaties treated in this from the dominion is that that doesn't mean we're never going to attack you it just means you know you're not on our radar yet if you want to be destroyed now you can attack and that's fine you know we'll kill you immediately because you're fucking romulus i mean this series has made it clear that romulus is not a galactic power anymore um which is why, I mean, I guess one of the things I didn't quite buy is why Romulus is so important at this point because they seem like a paper tiger now.
0: Well, they still have a big fleet, yeah. and they, you know, I mean, they are,
1: and apparently, strategically, they're yeah. well placed. So okay, yeah.
0: I mean, the Romulans have always been one of the big powers in in this part of the galaxy, and you know, Deep Space Nine has made them less politically relevant, but I don't think it's made them less militarily relevant. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess it is the equivalent of, um, and I I mean, we had a war a few years later, though maybe not one quite so elaborate as the Dominion War. But um, it's it's the equivalent of America at this point reaching out to Russia. Yes, we had the Cold War thing all you know thirty years ago, but at this point, you know, let's join up. We have the same enemies. Yeah, it would still. They do have some resources, if even if they're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um and maybe the last thing to talk about before we move on to his way is this may be a large we we could probably have a whole, you know, conversation <laughs> about this, but uh keep it under 90 seconds maybe is how how do you feel at this point in the season because we are now going into the last few episodes of the 6th season. How do you feel about how the war plot line has been structured so far? Oh, very
1: well. I mean, it's... Because
0: watching it, I mean, you know, and I asked this question for a particular reason because, uh, you know, I th- kind of thought that you were going to be dissatisfied with it no. because there are not that many actual war episodes and they're not really... Well, it's... Once they get back to Deep Space Nine, it's kind of like, hey, let's go have wacky adventures.
1: There is some of that, and I do agree that... And I didn't quite like the middle of the season. There were a few episodes which just kind of slumped where nothing was happening. But I think this episode is less – about this series and this arc of the series is less about war and more about wartime. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean they're not really interested in what the battle is. I don't think we can even make an educated guest on who is winning the war right now. Frankly, it's such a big war that that would be a very difficult thing to – do, but they're more interested in the casualty lists and the people that they know who died rather than, well, the Dominion's lost this many people and we've lost this many people and this is how this battle went, which means that we're – like that's not what the – they're not interested in the minutiae of the war. They're interested in the human cost of it and the yeah. moral cost yeah. of, of war uh, is – because I'm I'm a person who thinks the concept of war is – is reprehensible i i don't understand that you know we have two governments and one is deciding who's right so they're gonna throw their citizens against each other and whoever kills more and you know whoever says all right you've killed too many people you know you win like that that's a ridiculous idea to me that's horrifying i don't know where any would come would come up with it sparta well they uh also killed wolves as children um (laughs) But that's a very Federation attitude to have. Uh-huh. And the unfortunate thing is that war does exist. I mean... And, and
0: you know, also, let's not forget that the Federation chose this war. Yeah. I mean, they did and they didn't. Well... I'm not saying they deserve the war. I'm not saying that they started the war, necessarily. I mean, I think that the war was always going to be inevitable. But they... The Federation... Made a yeah. conscious decision to actually mind the wormhole and and start the dominion war. So, yeah. you know,
1: there I got a sense that the federation started this war because they crossed too much of a line and no one else is stepping up and doing the right thing, which is stopping the dominion from, you know, running roughshod on the entire quadrant. Mm-hmm. And the federation, well we're we're the biggest power, we're the ones who are in the right usually and we have the best idea for everybody. I, again, they t- they the point that Sisko makes to Verinak is that you know when this war's over, we're going to leave you in peace. The Dominion won't. Frankly, the Federation will want Romulus to be to sit at their table. They'll yeah. want them to sign. Yeah. They'll want them to join, but. If if Romulus eventually says, we're done, and maybe they would want something like the Klingons have with the Federation where they are still an independent power but right. work very closely with them, I, that might be, frankly, at the end of the series, I assume that's where Romulus would go just based on they're now working with the Federation and it makes sense for them.
0: we'll, we'll have to find out. Of course. But now we have, I think, all of the major powers in the quadrant involved in the war. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting, yeah, but what else is exciting <laughs> is odo's penis because of his way?
1: This was a terrible episode, and yet I watched it's I yeah. watched it about an hour, I watched in the pale moonlight, took about an hour break, and then watched this one, and I realized that there was a point where. I was only half paying attention, and Odo was... And Rene Bourgeois was hamming it up at the piano, and Nana Visitor was singing Fever, and it was terrible, and I realized this is exactly what I need to fucking see right now, because, okay, this is a lot less to... There's nice lounge music. The guy that they have playing, you know, Frank Sinatra, s- sings very well. You get to see some cool costumes. It's not a very plot heavy episode it's just and so watching it right after the other it was a very nice breather
0: it's a very nice palate cleanser exactly
1: that was just i want to watch something goofy and fun and, and nice yeah if i were watching this week to week and i had seen in the pale moonlight and was waiting an entire week to see what was gonna i can definitely see why people hated this episode
0: Yeah. I don't know that people hate this episode. (laughs) I mean, I think it's okay. I, you know, watching this episode for, for, um, this, this podcast for this time, it really did strike me how this is one of the episodes that really tests you as a Star Trek fan, because if you're invested in Star Trek, if you love it, then I don't know, there's something charming about this episode. There's something to it that, that I respond to, even though I know that objectively it's kind of a mess. And it's not really sure what it's doing. And it's not really sure <laughs> where it wants to even go necessarily. Which, you know, okay, that kind of makes sense because it's thematically appropriate
1: for the Kira Odo relationship. But it's a B plot. They stretched out to an entire episode. Right. It's a C plot. They stretched out to an episode.
0: Like in the pantheon of Star Trek Deep Space Nine interpersonal plot lines i'm not really sure that the kira and odo pseudo romance or odo carrying a torch for kira and kira friend zoning him even though i hate that term is the, I mean is that what we were really clamoring for? I, I don't know. I mean, and and no, I but mean, and and you know, I mean, Kira and Odo don't really have much chemistry romantically. <laughs> I, the kiss at the end was supposed to be this wonderful thing, and it seemed mostly like a man in a rubber mask smushing his face against <laughs> against an actress. So yeah,
1: I guess where I. What I was thinking of the entire time of this episode is the one with Data and Mr. Comedy, because that's essentially the same exact show in a similar milieu. And yet that episode was cringeworthily terrible. And it could just be as simple as the comedy in that episode was terrible. Yes. Singing in this episode was very good. Yes. I I, I
0: think that's a large part
1: of it. Yeah. if, If. if this entire episode was a delivery system for a couple of jazz standards, it was a very good couple of jazz standards, and that was great.
0: Now, I do, I do want to, <laughs> I do want to say that that I mean, we'll talk about the plot and we'll talk about Kirin Odo, because we have to, because that's what we do, and that's what the, the the commitment that we have made to you, our loyal listeners, that we well, will take each episode very seriously. Which is why we should be committed, but that's a different story. It's a different story. Um, uh, I want to start out by talking about Vic Fontaine because. He is a very, uh, he's one of those things that I think I need to explain to you a little bit. Oh, good. So there's a character in Star Trek Voyager that had been on at this point for, I think, four seasons. or It was in its fourth season at this point. Called the Doctor, and the Doctor is a hologram.
1: Yes. Now, we have seen, we talked very briefly about this because there's the cameo in uh, the movie First Contact, and there was also the episode where Dr.
0: Bashir, I presume. Yeah. So, one of the things that Voyager does, and we can say that Voyager does many, many things, and we will find out all <laughs> about it very soon, is that they deal with the idea of a Hologram, attaining, sentience, self-awareness, knowing that he's a hologram, you know, sort of – it's a further extrapolation of the ideas that were kind of, you know, ever-present in Data from TNG. Yeah, or example. the
1: where the holodeck arc again, – again, the ho- all of the holodeck episodes strung together. I don't think this was intentional, but they start going from right. characters who realize they are and can't exist outside to – where they go with Mor- Moriarty and shipping a bottle and things right. like that. Right.
0: So, so all of these sort of ideas about and these lines in this episode about way he knows he's a hologram, what's going on, blah blah blah. These are all kind of like in jokey stuff with okay. Star Trek Voyager to a to a degree, and this whole idea of a holographic person was. From Voyager, okay. essentially, and yes, you're right. From from also from Ship in a Bottle,
1: but it seems uh, then then my understanding of because there aren't a ton of the Hollow Suites are used very differently in DS9 than they are used in TNG. But I assume that DS9 obviously has a lot of balls in the air, and you know the idea of artificial intelligence just wasn't interesting to the writers, but. Whatever for whatever reason the Voyager staff thought that this was a much more compelling theme and they wanted to right. that kind of a thing. Right,
0: and and you know I don't really know what the genesis of the Vic Fontaine character is. I don't really know why they suddenly decided to create an entire new you know sixties Vegas lounge set in the back half of the sixth season. Uh, let me ask: uh, but, What
1: was that actually? Nana Visitor singing?
0: I don't know.
1: I couldn't. I, I think I l- so. I looked it up and I didn't see an act and it actually mentioned that she or a friend of her mother's had been a lounge singer in, yeah. in the 60s and that's why she, and she picked that song so i got the sense that it was her her voice who it sounded very much like her Maybe it was as simple as you know they knew that she could sing and figured all right we need to have a breather episode feel like singing a song on
0: this right I and mean I, I I think for a very similar reason that that's probably partly the reason why Odo and Cisco have that little minor duet in his yeah office because you know Cisco uh, well not Cisco the real man Avery Brooks uh, is a musician and you know sings and yes. plays piano and all those things so
1: and that was a very that I think was the only Cisco scene in this or that was the only significant Cisco scene. Yeah, because and, he
0: was not there at the very beginning of the episode with everybody else. Yeah. where Bashir unveiled his program. Mm-hmm. And also is Bashir now some sort of like AI genius? No, I think
1: he just bought it. I got was the sense I got. Well, who
0: made it then?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's the who made who made the spy program? Who made the who makes Kira's Meditation program? I mean, I think these are just commercially available programs that— But there
0: aren't, there's no commercially available in the Federation.
1: Who runs the Holosuites? Quark. Commercially available.
0: Yes, but that's a Bajoran space station. It's administered by the Federation.
1: Still, it could have been as simple as you know, Bashir was uh, obviously reads the Hollow Suite catalog. You know the catalog let's, of let's the software a, available. Let's have
0: a very wheezy discussion about <laughs> intergalactic economic theory instead of talking about his
1: way. Well, I have to say, every, well, here's been a question that I've been wondering because the Federation has no money, right? You know, Federation officers. You ask O'Brien what his bank account is, and he's gonna blink at you a couple times before he has an answer for you. All of the time we see quark, you know, holding up a pad to uh oh your holo suite's ready, just you know, give me your thumbprint. And they're authorizing something. So here's my fan theory is that the Federation does have a certain amount of money that it uses to deal with outside cultures. Obviously, somebody is paying Quark. He's not going to do this out of the goodness of his heart. But maybe the they're goodness not goodness of his lobes. Thank mm, you. Thank you. Um I mean, I almost get the sense that the officers have maybe it's very amorphous, but an amount, a spending yeah. account in a way, and they don't deal with it at, only if they're dealing with quarks or they're outside. Yeah, that's
0: and, that's kind of a yeah. I think that's accurate.
1: So yeah, maybe Bashir just does it, it. Obviously, he doesn't have much of a use for money, so maybe he just every so often, oh quark, get this new holiday Suite program. It sounds really cool
0: or maybe he got it from section 31.
1: That could be. <gasps> well,
0: aside from Vic Fontaine and well, I, I don't I have, know how much else there is to say about him, but what I know.
1: want to say about Vic Fontaine is that we have an AI character who meddles in two people's lives, who can cross from program to program, who can appear, who can contact people in the station. Now all of his motivations are genuinely he just sees these two crazy kids, and he knows they love each other, and he's a lounge singer, so he wants to he wants to play matchmaker. Sure, that's fine. That's innocuous. It turns out, what if Vic Fontaine was a malevolent AI who wanted to take over the station? He has so—it's so fucking easy for him to do that, and nobody seems to be worried. Because he's Vic. I was really worried that that was where this episode was going to go, that it was going to be this twist that he was just an evil guy, evil AI pretending.
0: When has Deep Space Night ever done something like that? That's not the type of show it is. I
1: know. But... You,
0: you start out with a warm and a little scary episode about Odo and Kira, and that, by golly, that is what you were. <laughs> come hell or high water. Yeah. Yeah, Vic, Vic Fontaine is not evil, and we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, D- like, wait, wait, wait. I like Vic. Do we see him again?
1: Maybe, oh, no. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> we'll just have to find out. So, yeah, Kieran Odo. I'm, to a degree, thank God, to a degree, okay, this is a, th- th- this could have been done much more obnoxiously. I'm glad they finally got it over. I'm glad they went to 30s through 60s screwball romantic comedy with it. And, all right, it's finally fucking happened. I hope they're happy. Now we have a new couple and we don't have to deal with Dax and Worf anymore.
0: <laughs> well, I think that, I mean... I I feel like this episode, you know, its genesis is a little strange because I'm, again, I'm not really sure why they felt it was necessary mm-hmm. to to revisit this well. I mean, they kind of I think came to a pretty good non resolution of it, yeah. which was all during the the you know whole build up to the war and then the first six episodes of the season. You know, this episode almost completely forgets that that Kira felt fundamentally betrayed by Odo like a, like six months ago and didn't really do anything about it to make it better. Uh, Kira suddenly is talking about Shakar again for reasons that seem very unclear, even though they're not actually dating.
1: Well, the, It almost the, seems the like this
0: episode I... was supposed to be like aired a season Earlier. ago and they just
1: got around to it now. I mean, the Shakar stuff seems to be almost entirely from Odo's perspective as far as kira's concerned her old boyfriend who has is an extremely important position in the government needs to get some official reports on the war that's going on and
0: we all need she- to get some official reports <laughs> on the war sometimes well yeah I don't know.
1: again giving they they seem to have broken up amicably and so there's no reason why kira shouldn't and in many ways she is the ideal person to give this report so she spends a week at home you know Speaks with her ex-boyfriend and reports on the war and they have a fine time and she goes home saying, oh, it was good to see him again. As far as her personal story goes, I think that's where she came through this.
0: I I think you've unwittingly hit on the uh, uh, true problem with his way, which is that um, Kira essentially has no agency in this episode at all. It's true. And it's a little disturbing.
1: You said friend-zoned earlier. The episode obviously doesn't use that term, but... I don't know quite where the pickup artist community was, but I know thanks to the internet, which obviously exploded a couple of years after this episode aired. um, There are certainly lots of very sleazy and terrifying and creepy thoughts about how do you get someone who, how do you get out of the friend zone with your, yeah. Now, frankly, Vic Fontaine's advice basically boils down to get a hobby, relax and, (laughs) Teach and treat her, and, and treat her nicely, and have fun,
0: and get tricked into having a date with. Well, then there's who that. You part. Think is a hologram of the person you're in love
1: with, which is a little weird. I mean that that's uh, that's well, I think, that's I one mean, of those fucked up things that I accepted because of the genre. I have to say, uh, and also
0: the fact that Vic Fontaine is also a hologram. Yes, that and helps. is
1: working w- within a very certain cliched frame of reference, yeah. and also from. I, I mean, he's going very Sinatra Rat Pack, obviously, and while— I love the
0: fact that Shecky Green was name-checked in this episode, <laughs> by the way. And Victor
1: Borg. Yeah. <laughs> and they think he's the funniest person. um Certainly within that kind of a—within a Rat Pack context— they are sexist in their own way, although much kinder in their sexism. Yeah. In other words, yeah. you're going to treat her like a lady, take her out to dinner, you know, give her flowers, treat her right, that kind of a thing, which has, a, has many problems, takes away agency from the woman, is better than probably what the pickup artist community, which would be talking about how do we manipulate this woman into getting out of the friend zone. Why
0: won't women take out their earbuds when I'm trying to talk to <laughs> them? Yeah, all that kind of stuff is is definitely true. I I think that one of the things that that really... um, I always have a problem with this type of setup, especially in an episode which... I mean, because on the one hand, I do understand that you need to approach this episode particularly from the particulars of the Odo and Kira relationship. Mm -hmm. Who they are as friends, their history, who Kira is as a person, who Odo is as a person, right? And I don't think that Odo is being manipulative. I don't think that Odo is being creepy. I don't think that Kira has put Odo in the quote-unquote friend zone because A, the friend zone doesn't exist, and also B, because they are friends.
1: Well, the way they talk about it in this episode is, well, you're already friends. She already likes you. She just doesn't see you romantically. Give her a reason to see you romantically and – In this episode, that turns out to be where it talks and dance.
0: Right. And and, and that's really what it comes down to, though, is that, yes, you do need to grapple with this episode on those terms. But there is no indication. And I think, frankly, this is probably just because I think all of the writers that were on staff of Deep Space Nine were men, Hmm. that there's no... Uh, there's no indication that there's any understanding whatsoever that there is a larger social context that you need to put this sort of thing Hmm. into. And that a a man, Odo doing this to Kira is not threatening, but a man doing this to a woman is threatening. Hmm. So I, 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 that's where the episode always falls down for me a little bit. I think
1: exactly. Yeah. The, The problem with Odo and Kira is simply that the two of them are just need to pull the Band-Aid off in a lot of ways, at least according to Vic Fontaine. Um, Again, given the time frame that this is quote-unquote set in, or at least is evoking, uh, some of those resonances can be not justified, but at least placed, again, placed into that context, but you're right. This is not a situation which is appropriate for every couple. I would not get life advice from this episode.
0: Yeah, I I don't think that you should get life advice from this episode. But I also don't think that we really should discount the, the very, you know, inappropriate way that the two of them get together. Because,
1: you know, I, I it's I, yes and no, because... The first date between Odo and Kira, he at, him asking her would be extremely stiff and formal. They would be very awkward. Neither of them would have a fun time. And so, yes, Fontaine's trick where he leads Odo to believe this is just practice. This doesn't count. And so it does allow Odo to relax. And it's not like any of what he's saying or doing to her is not genuine at that point. He genuinely does want to have dinner and dance and talk with Kira. He just feels that this is a practice round that doesn't count. And so he doesn't get the jitters about it. I think there's more of a problem with, I I, I don't know.
0: I mean, I certainly can see that interpretation of that scene. I also think that there's another interpretation of that scene, which is that, Odo is involving himself in a fantasy relationship with an idealized version of Kira. That is true too. And is not treating her as a real person.
1: But I I think one of the
0: And I know that Odo is horrified by this and Kira is horrified by this and Vic is you yeah. know whatever he's doing is I don't know, but
1: but I think it's not necessarily an idealized version of Kira that he wants when he when he has No, the, I don't I
0: don't think so either. When there's the that,
1: la- when there's the lounge singer version of her, he's you know, obviously he finds her very beautiful, but he knows this isn't even remotely Kira there's a couple a couple of things that he reacts to during the conversation with the real Kira that he thinks he's a hologram, like at one point he says, "Oh, Vic, you did a great job." He thinks that this is so cl- he's amazed that he, she is so close to the real Kira yeah that she's a realistic version of Kira
0: well yeah and I'm not saying that Odo's motivations here are are creepy yeah. but but I'm you know more it's that um Lola Cristal <laughs> I wrote that name down because it's fantastic um is not an idealized version of Kira because Kira does not smoke and is not hitting on Odo yeah. and is not like just wanting to hook yeah. up with him. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, he, if he there's...
1: simply wanted the fantasy, he would go with Lola Cristal.
0: Well, but that's not.
1: The, but what, he doesn't I'm want the fantasy.
0: idealized I guess. versions of something or a fantasy version of something. Does not necessarily indicate that you just want a sex doll. Yes,
1: and that's, that's
0: fair. yeah, and that's what I think. Maybe you're not getting mm-hmm. is that I think that the idealized version, the fantasy version of Kira for Odo, is a deep, meaningful relationship that is incumbent on and honoring her personality and
1: his personality together. Yeah. Not a, not a sex doll. That's fair. And th- maybe
0: that's what Vic doesn't get either, but...
1: Well, he has a hollow program, what her hollow suite's probably used for most of the time. I'm gonna go with cooking. Yeah. He wants to bake a bit. Um, he wants to stick something in her oven! So, <laughs> Star Trek... It's start of the track. Um
0: I mean at the end of the day this is fine. Like I don't I don't think that I'm kind of creating problems where I don't really think there are any just because there's not that much to talk about with this episode. And that's but it is kind of like at the end of the day, all right, I guess they're together now and that's fine.
1: I let me put it this way: I would maybe watch the Lola Cristal scene because, again, that was very fun and that was
0: with tissues and lotion,
1: exactly. Okay, but would I watch this episode again? Probably not. Is this in the top half of of Divasace Nine episodes? No, it's probably not even the top ninety percent. But wow, you really didn't like it. It's the it's it's the if you rank every how many episodes are in the series 173 okay so it's the 23rd best episode of the 23rd best episode yeah so like the with the 100th best episode 99 in it no i'm sorry it's like the you're talking about
0: the 20th percentile best episode so
1: so there's like the worst episode which is like number 180 yeah yeah. then you go up 23 spots and you find this episode oh so it's like the 150th best episode huh
0: your your dislike of this episode was not made that clear.
1: Well, I'm not really good at percentages. I'm not realizing that this is as bad as that. I don't remember the episodes. I haven't have a guide to rig them.
0: <laughs> well, we'll just have to see what happens with Kieran and Odo. Now they're together and they're wonderful Aww. and they're beautiful and they're going to make little babies. Ew. They're actually not because I don't think that's possible, but
1: let me let let's let's ask this question all right. are you ready?
0: No, but go ahead because you're going to
1: ask it anyway. Could odo create a tiny fleck of himself? I knew this was yeah changeling like that into sperm and get Kira pregnant. can this happen? I know there is a ton of fan fiction about it, but how scientifically accurate is it?
0: Well, if you have any thoughts on that or anything else we've discussed, please leave a comment on the ep- post for this episode <laughs> of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com as Richard loses it. <laughs> if you know anything about biology, it would be great to have an answer to that question. I-, I know that Richard would be very upset if we don't get answers to that. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash show, which supports both this podcast and our other podcast. tuning in the next episode of which is going to be released just in two days on the United States of Terra episodes, Revolution and Transition. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. About show is our username in those places. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for truckabout It is the best way for new fans to find the show, and also it shows your love for us, but not as much as giving us money, patreon.com slash well, we have no new reviews to read, but what? we have an email to read. What from someone who has made a previous appearance?
1: Oh my God! Another a recurring guest star.
0: Track about. So we got this email a while ago. We we uh, apologize for not reading it sooner, but uh, we're not professional podcasters. So you're gonna have to. Yes, deal we with are. It. We get paid for this. That's true. We do get paid for it. Does, does getting paid for something to make you a professional?
1: That's usually the definition, as far as I'm concerned. Oh well, if we're going with the definition. <laughs> We got I know a, it's 2016, but I believe that words actually have meanings. <laughs> we got an email from the one and only DJ Skin So Smooth. Now, if you remember, DJ Skin So Smooth hates that we hate straight people. Last time on Truck about. <laughs> Previously on Truck about. That was my Major Barrett voice.
0: Yes. DJ Skin So Smooth left us an iTunes review a while ago. One star iTunes review essentially saying that the fact that we make jokes about hating straight people well they're not jokes we do hate straight <laughs> people uh, is terrible and we should be
1: ashamed of ourselves the show we're, gay supremacist, basically. We're, we're gay
0: supremacists we're gay supremacists we're gay premises. that doesn't work does it I'm never going to say that word again
1: Fabula premises
0: there you go uh, but he or she I don't know if it's a man or a woman uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go
1: with uh, we'll go with she to be inclusive <gasps> Um <because, yeah, laughs> what well, hey, I think I I mean I'm assuming most DJs are men, you know. Like That is very like sexist DJ w. from Roseanne or DJ Jazzy Jeff.
0: What about DJ Tanner from a little show called Full House? That she was, was
1: actually a- played by a woman named Candace Cameron.
0: Yeah, that's my point. It
1: was a it was a female. Now yeah, I like- mean it was a fictional female. Oh
0: god, all right. Let's read this email because
1: we're times. Not, you know, like how they have like female starship captains. It can never happen in real life, but we can accept it on a fictional. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> Please send all hate mail
0: to. Please send all hate mail to Richard. Um, so uh, DJ Skin So Smooth, who did not reveal his or her real name uh, in this in this email as well, uh, said, "Hey guys, it's Ugg DJ Skin So Smooth. I just had no idea that was my iTunes name until I left the <laughs> review." Jesus, how embarrassing. <laughs> so, we, well, we've all been there. I mean, you know, I, I have usernames from years and years ago that I am embarrassed by at this point. So, I will not tell you what they are. I but know
1: what they are. And I have no idea. Even at the time, I thought they were.
0: It happens. Uh So he or she says, "I just wanted to say I'm I'm removing my review. I was very harsh. I did stop listening to you guys, but it's not easy talking for an hour each week, and it's a jerk move to leave a negative review. Well, you know, I mean, as
1: someone who's made a lot of negative reviews in his life, no, it is a jerk move. But okay, we can be jerks. Jerks are okay."
0: We have more in common than not, I think. We just constantly have politics and real world problems thrown at us, which I certainly think are important, but I like to escape from time to time and so turn to track. Now, the real thing here is that uh, the, 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 the capper, the, the finale of this entire DJ Skin So Smooth saga is the following statement I did start listening again. <laughs> And we knew you were going to because the show is wonderful, and we do a wonderful job.
1: Well, we're happy to have you back as a listener. Welcome back. Uh, I like the way this ended because this ended in a very Trek way, didn't it? We it did got all of our differences. So maybe what happens with DJ Skin so smooth and us is what's going to happen with the Dominion. In other words, the Federation left a negative review on the Dominion's website, and then was like. I'm sorry about that. You guys are okay.
0: All right. Maybe that will happen. <laughs> but I'm glad that this ended well. No. I'm glad that he or she is continuing to listen. It was and and, and uh, it was very you know, good to hear. We we you. got we got a few jokes out of this, but uh, all joking aside, you know, it's always nice to, to have someone come around and you know. We knew you didn't hate us. But, and we don't hate straight people. And remember, when you vote again as you just did last week, please remember to write Neither yes nor no, but world socialism on your ballot paper. Thank you very much.
1: And that's why Trump just won for president. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. He might have won. I'm trying to jinx it. Thank you for making me unjinx it so it's going to happen. Yeah.
0: We also recorded this about a month ago, <laughs> so <laughs> we have no idea who won the presidential election. You guys all do. So
1: we're going to overdub it with who actually won. Jill Stein. Jill <laughs> Stein. Well, when you vote for... Actually, what happened was that the insects came and killed everybody, and we're recording this from a bunker. Oh my god, like, the world could be destroyed, and this could just be going off in the RSV to nobody.
0: I guess that's true, and that would be very sad.
1: Well, if you have not been mutated by radiation yet, please give us a...
0: Give us money. Yeah! Yeah! Or an iTunes review. Or write us an email, truckaboutshow at gmail.com. Do all those things.
1: Or non-contaminated water or, you know, field rations, something. We're desperate here. It's the apocalypse.
0: But I think everything is okay because we've got episodes to talk about next week. Which ones? Well, next week we're going to be talking about the episodes The Reckoning and Valiant.
1: Oh, I love Valium.
0: We'll talk to you then.